0: When I look at ARVR, I'm thinking of all those kids in classrooms that can actually benefit from a truly immersive education. When being able to wear those glasses and getting transported to the deserts of Sahara to understand how desert life works, that's just amazing. That's what ARVR can get you. Same thing with telemedicine.
1: Education, telemedicine, and of course, real-time gaming are all set to benefit from the virtual reality enabled by Wi-Fi 7 and multi-link operation. We're going to learn about that today on The Signal with our guest Vijay Nagarajan from Broadcom. Hello, this is Martha DeGrasse here for Wi-Fi Alliance, and this is The Signal, our podcast where we give you the inside track on Wi-Fi. These are conversations with industry leaders. We're trying to deliver a new perspective on the growing portfolio of Wi-Fi technologies that we see changing the connectivity landscape. And in this episode, we are extremely happy to welcome Vijay Nagarajan. He is VP of the Wireless Connectivity Division at Broadcom. So that covers a lot, Vijay, but I think Broadcom has built itself as a Wi-Fi-first company, so it's great that you're here to talk about Wi-Fi today. Welcome to The Signal.
0: Martha, thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to always talk about Wi-Fi, so this conversation should be no exception. I'm really looking forward to answering some of the questions you might have.
1: Well, can you start off just by telling us a little bit about your role at Broadcom?
0: Sure. As you described, I am a vice president with our wireless connectivity group, so I manage all of our products, marketing, and applications engineering initiatives. We, as you know, Broadcom are among the leaders for Wi-Fi when it comes to both the phone side silicon as well as the access point site silicon. So we supply chips for retail routers, carrier gateways, enterprise access points, and of course, phones and tablets and PCs. So we have a broad portfolio of connectivity solutions. And uh, as you described, we like to look at ourselves as a Wi-Fi first company. And I run all of the product and marketing initiatives here.
1: Excellent. So today we are going to get into Wi-Fi 7 and specifically multi-link operation. But first, I think it would be good if you could give us a little bit of a perspective on the different generations of Wi-Fi. You've obviously been doing this for a long time. And I think a lot of people feel like every time we look up, there's a new Wi-Fi generation, especially lately. So kind of give us a little bit of an overview of what some of these more recent iterations are about.
0: Thank you first for asking that question. it's It's one of my favorite questions to answer. So when I step back and look at it, and you know, having seen Wi-Fi evolve, say, let's say over the past two decades, one thing that I've come to realize is that each generation of Wi-Fi sort of fine-tuned to address a specific use case need. You know, dial back to two thousand and eight. That's when mobile internet really took off. You were having multiple mobile devices that, you were communicating on for emails and web browsing and whatnot. That's really when 11n came in handy, with the ability to transfer it across multiple streams, I think 11n was really good for mobile communication. And that certainly helped drive some of the mobile traffic, right? I mean, you know that that's really when Wi-Fi took off in a way, and then smartphones were sort of enabled. All the smartphones, the use cases, and the apps were really enabled over Wi-Fi. Fast forward to the beginning of last decade, that's when we had Wi Fi five, I would say, which is eleven AC. And guess what was very prominent then or what was beginning to take off?
1: The smartphone.
0: The smartphones was then it happened, I think around the turn of last decade was really video consumption. You started watching video streaming content. You know, you wanted to watch content that was streamed over Wi Fi on your T V, on your phones. So Moving from the web browsing, email scenario, you were now beginning to consume media content. And that's where Wi-Fi 5 or 11 AC became super useful. It had higher speeds, it brought in concepts like beamforming that truly enabled those use cases. Fast forward further to 2018, 2019, you were not just consuming data, you were actually creating data and pushing them into the cloud. You were taking video calls, look at WhatsApp, look at FaceTime. And guess what? During the pandemic, you had too many people doing WebEx and Zoom. So that requires bi-directional media communication. Wi-Fi 6 was a perfect Wi-Fi technology for that. It was a nuts and bolts redesign of Wi-Fi, which truly enabled uplink communication as much as downlink communication. And that truly helped the scenario where people were going to a Taylor Swift concert and taking a video and wanting to upload it into the cloud immediately in a stadium. Or simply working and doing, you know, Zoom calls and WebEx calls from work. So that's where Wi Fi six was. So then fast forward now another three, four years We've had media download, media upload. Now people are beginning to look at more immersive experiences. I mean, whether you want to call it AR, VR, some people call it metaverse. There are so many fancy words that are thrown around it, but the fact is that you're beginning to want more media-rich, immersive experiences. And that requires very low latency, high-speed communication. That's where Wi-Fi 7 comes in handy. So as you can see, I mean, each generation of Wi-Fi is truly evolved to support the next generation use cases, and it's been vastly successful in doing
1: that. Okay, we're going to get into Wi-Fi 7 and multi-link operation, but first, can you give us an update on the uptake for Wi-Fi 6 and 6E?
0: Absolutely. I and mean, that's, a, that's a great question. Again, I think what we've seen is Wi-Fi 6 was introduced sometime right before COVID with work from home, taking precedence, people completely being appended on their digital life. They began to realize that Wi-Fi was super critical for them. Having very good wireless broadband in their residences and at workplaces is super important. So what that really meant was there was a massive Uptick of Wi Fi 6 hardware that started happening in the 2020 timeframe. And that's also when Wi-Fi 6E was introduced with 6 gigahertz band being made available. I'm happy to report, like Broadcom alone, we've shipped north of a billion devices, billion Wi-Fi 6, 6E devices in the last two, three years. That number is reaching closer to 1.5 billion units as we speak. So, I mean, the uptick's been remarkable. The product cycle's been very, very quick, simply because this nuts and bolts redesign of Wi-Fi with Wi-Fi 6 truly enabled enterprises and office environments to take advantage of Wi-Fi as well. So what we saw was that the transitions on the enterprise side started happening almost in parallel to the transitions on the retail and the residential sites. That was historically not the case. Retail, residential would take off first, and enterprise would happen a couple of years later. That was not the case with 660. It was almost instant. So it was amazing takeoff so far. It's been vastly successful, and we're very happy to be in the middle of all of that.
1: And yet, are you expecting some of those same people to upgrade to Wi-Fi 7 now?
0: That's a great question. I do expect, obviously, there would be typically product cycles, for any generation of Wi-Fi is about four to five years. When you buy an access point, you expect people to use that for two to three years. So all of that has to happen. But we do expect the Wi-Fi 7 product cycle to take off this year and more and more mass adoption happening, you know, through 24 and 25. With 6 gigahertz band coming in, I think there are a set of customers that would jump at Wi-Fi 7 because of how it makes use of the 6 gigahertz band. So we do expect the transition to happen in the coming years.
1: Excellent. So I think maybe one of the big drivers for that upgrade is going to be multi-link operation?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Multi-link operation is something that we're very, very excited about. I mean, as I said, I think... The USP for Wi-Fi 7 is to be able to address low-latency, high data rate communication. Multilink operation is a feature that gets us there, and we feel like that's a core offering for Wi-Fi 7 that really differentiates it versus, say, the previous generations of Wi-Fi.
1: Can you give us a little bit of a technical overview of multilink operation, what it is and how it works? For sure.
0: And before I do that, I mean, I also step back and give you a perspective of how the industry has been looking at it. So when you see Wi-Fi evolve, we've addressed several vectors over the years. The initial generations of Wi-Fi were focused on speed, and we've been upping the speed for quite a few generations. And then with 11AC coming in Wi-Fi 5, Wi-Fi 6, we also focused on coverage and range. So there were two vectors that were addressed: speed and coverage. Then, you know, with Wi-Fi 6 and all the nuts and bolts redesign, and I'm repeating this quite a few times, I suppose, the emphasis was also on efficiency, how efficiently the channel is being used. And so that was a key differentiator for Wi-Fi 6. And the fourth vector, of course, is latency. Now, if we can address latency effectively, then I think, Wi Fi offers a very, very complete solution for any future use case, especially those immersive ones that we're talking about. Multi link operation is just the tool to be able to do that. And versus actually giving you a technical overview, I'd like to say, I mean, give you an example uh, that probably resonates with uh, everybody better. I live in San Jose, and not very often, but I do go to San Francisco a few times. And there are a couple of different highways that I could potentially take from San Jose to San Francisco. There's uh, 280 and there's 101, either of those. But if you're like me, anxious to get to your destination at the fastest possible time, and you're a Google Maps user, you're looking at your Maps application and you're, you're figuring out which route gets you fastest, which has least amount of traffic. You know how do you get to San Francisco faster? So some days it could be 280, some days it could be 101, but the goal really is to get to San Francisco first. MLO does something very similar with your wireless data. You know, with Wi-Fi, you have 2.4 and 5 gig and 6 gig channels readily available now. With MLO, we're able to look at which channel is congested at what point in time and how can we optimally use the combination of channels to get to your destination faster, to make sure that your data is communicated from let's say your client to your access point or vice versa through the fastest possible means and as a result, lowest latency possible. So I wanted to give you this analogy versus giving you a very technical explanation for this.
1: Good idea, good idea. Now, as I understood it, it's not all the data on one channel though, multiple channels can be used at one time, is, is that right?
0: That is true. I think multiple channels can be used at one time, and that is certainly how it's implemented. For example, let's say I have a five gig channel and a six gig channel at the same time, and we find out that the five gig channel is overloaded, then we have implementations that would immediately pick up from there, move the data to the six gig channel and the communication happens via the six gig channel. Until say either the five gig channel frees up or or let's say the 6-gig channel gets crowded enough to be able to go back to 5-gig. So there is the opportunity to quickly transition across channels to get to your destination faster, if that makes sense.
1: That does make sense. Can you give an example of a use case where this would make a difference between using Wi-Fi successfully for that use case or or maybe not being able to in a lower generation of Wi-Fi?
0: Of course. So we've done a whole bunch of simulations on our side and some of the things that we see is for data communication, we've seen worst case latencies drop tremendously when we use MLO. I mean, there would be scenarios where your, let's say a 5 gig channel is absolutely okay in terms of communicating, but in certain situations where there's a lot of traffic, a lot of people, a lot of neighboring networks on 5 gig channel and so on, the latencies tend to exponentially grow at times when it's in a very, very dense deployment or in a dense deployment. So in such scenarios, if I'm able to shift to a six gig channel, which is lighter in terms of load, then that worst case latency drops tremendously. We've seen latencies drop from a second all the way down to 10, 20 milliseconds by the use of MLO. Think about AR, VR. If you're wearing a virtual reality glass, you don't want it to have the right latency for 85% of the time. <laughs> you want it to have the right latency for 100% of the time. Otherwise, you're going to take that headset and throw it off.
1: Yeah. And we should point out, right, that ARVR, of course, gaming is probably the most common use case, but more and more it's being used for training and even some safety applications. So it's not just fun and games, as it were, right?
0: Absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on its head. I mean, sometimes when people talk about AR, VR, they look at, okay, this is just gaming. And sometimes it almost becomes... A flippant use of technology, if you may. But it's not. It isn't that. It isn't that. When I look at AR, VR, I'm thinking of all those kids in classrooms that can actually benefit from a truly immersive education. When being able to wear those glasses and getting transported to the deserts of Sahara to understand how desert life works, that's just amazing. That's what AR, VR can get you. Same thing with telemedicine. There are several impactful areas that virtual reality and augmented reality can certainly help with. Day-to-day use cases as well. I mean, I I wear the Ray-Ban Stories glasses on a very regular basis with prescription glasses on it. I mean, this is not an AR device today, but this is the form factor that I'm rooting for would become an AR glass, you know, three, four, five years later. For me to be able to wear these glasses on a regular basis and at the same time get augmented reality overlays, that's a dream scenario for me. And that would require extremely low latency, very high data rate communication. Thank Wi-Fi 7.
1: Right. Okay, great. Let's talk a little bit about Broadcom's contribution, your mobile chipsets. I know you said earlier that for clients and routers, access points, you're in everything. So let's get get a little bit specific about Wi-Fi 7 and what you're doing with that.
0: For sure. So back in April of 22, we did announce a whole slew of Wi-Fi 7 products, both on the client side and on the access point side. We announced chips for both the retail router space and the enterprise access points, You need the access devices. And on the phone side, we announced a chip as well that is capable of supporting Wi-Fi 7 with all of its bells and whistles, including the multilink operation. And that's what we're looking to productize. And these chips are going to be in partner devices, some of which have already been announced in 2023.
1: That's pretty exciting. Now, you said that with Wi-Fi 6 and 6E, we saw a parallel uptake between retail and residential and Enterprise. Do you anticipate the same for Wi-Fi 7? I would say
0: that I mean, we're certainly seeing interest across segments. Obviously, I can't comment on specific customer plans, but we're certainly seeing interest across segments. But I do, I mean, if, if I were to give a frank assessment, I would say that in the case of Wi-Fi 7, I would expect the uptake to be slightly staggered between residential and enterprise. The case being, with Wi-Fi 6, it was special in that there was a complete nuts and bolts redesign. And enterprises really saw value in this concept of OFDMA. They are seeing value with Wi-Fi 7 features such as MLO as well. But I think I do see it a little bit staggered versus what we saw with Wi-Fi 6, if that helps.
1: So staggered towards the way it used to be with the Yeah, I mean, I first. see,
0: to be, to be more specific, we're seeing retail and residential uptake for Wi-Fi 7 this year. We're expecting enterprise uptake to happen next year, early next year. So that is a slight staggering, if you may.
1: All right. Vijay Nagarajan, VP Wireless Connectivity Division at Broadcom. Thank you so much for being here on The Signal.
0: Martha, thank you so much for having me. Goodbye.
1: And that is our show. Don't forget to check the show notes for more resources. And don't forget to subscribe to The Signal on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You'll get all the latest episodes straight to your device. For all things Wi-Fi, check out Wi-Fi Alliance. That's y-fi.org. I'm Martha DeGrasse. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time on The Signal.